Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2014 Oklahoma City Gospel Truth Rally. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Let's turn over to Luke chapter 24. This is what I want to share with you tonight. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. The Lord spoke this to me supernaturally decades ago. And this has been a passage of Scripture that every time I read it, it just impacts me in a big, big way. And uh, there's more here than what I can unpack tonight. But let me just say quickly that the first few verses of this 24th chapter are talking about the resurrection of Jesus. It starts with the first day of the week. The women came to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away. Jesus was gone. And then they saw a vision of angels. And they went back and told the apostles about it. And they didn't believe them. And the angels told them, Why are you seeking the living among the dead? Boy, there's a great message in that. But there's a lot of people that are seeking a dead God. They're seeking a God that they don't believe heals today. They don't believe in prosperity. They don't believe in joy. They don't believe in peace. And yet they're seeking God, but they're seeking a dead God. And because of it, they're sad. I tell you what, if you, you have to understand that God is a good God who wants to do miraculous things in your life or you don't experience the benefits of these things. God doesn't force his will upon anybody. You have to invite him in. You have to believe and receive these things. You have to pursue the goodness of God. It doesn't just come to pass automatically and most people are not experiencing the goodness of God because they've been taught wrong. They haven't really understood how God is alive. Daniel was singing and talking about that tonight. That was awesome. So right after this, it says in verse 13, it says, and behold, two of them went the same day, the same day as what? The same day as the resurrection. This was resurrection day. So this was the first resurrection day. Two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score, three score furlongs. That's approximately seven miles. And they were walking. So it takes, depending on how you walk, it takes around two hours uh, to cover seven miles if you're walking at a good pace. And it says in verse 14, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, what manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? Now think about all of this before we go on and read the rest of this. They were talking about Jesus. They were talking about the report that they had heard from the women that Jesus was alive from the dead. This should have been the greatest news that they had ever heard. And these were, it doesn't name them. It implies that one of these two was named Simon later on. And it's possible it could have been Simon Peter, but you know, Simon was a common name during that day. So we don't know that this was Simon Peter, but we do know that they went back to the 12 and they were a part of that group. They may not have been one of the 12 apostles, but they were some of the close associates of Jesus. These were people who knew Jesus, who had seen Jesus and they loved Jesus and they had been sad because he had been crucified and buried and they had heard the good news that he was raised from the dead and yet it hadn't made them happy, it had made them sad. 
they were talking about Jesus. They were talking about specifically the report that he had been raised from the dead and yet they were still sad. Boy, that's a big piece of information right there because there's some people who think, well, just if I read the Bible, everything ought to be okay. As long as I go to church, everything ought to be okay. As long as I talk about God, everything ought to be okay. No, it depends on whether you're in faith or not. You know, if you've been baptized in religion, it'll actually hinder you. I'm not gonna go there. I'm gonna stay off of this. I got other things I wanna say, but there are some of you wondering why things aren't working better and you're associating yourself with people who criticize and put you down and make you feel like you're a fanatic and things like this and it hinders your faith. And somebody says, oh, but I'm strong and I can take it. First Corinthians 15, 33 says, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. There's some of you that go to dead churches and you're wondering why you aren't experiencing more life. That usually goes over about like that. Oh, but my family, we grew up in this church. My uncle's got his name engraved on a pew. It doesn't matter. You know, I had a friend that was holding a church meeting and a guy died during the church service and they called 911 and the emergency people came and they carried out half of the congregation before they found the dead person. That was a dead church. <laughs> And you know what? Some of you go to a dead church. You ought to get out into one of these churches. If you saw a pastor stand up, you ought to go ask them, where do you pastor? I can't guarantee that every pastor that's at this conference is gonna be preaching the full gospel and stuff, but at least they're here. That's a place to start. Some of you just give your money towards things that they aren't even preaching the gospel. They don't even believe in the things that the word teaches. Anyway, I said I wasn't gonna go there. I didn't go all the way, but I gave you a glimpse of it. But anyway, they were talking about Jesus and they were sad. You know why they were sad? Because they were in unbelief. They didn't believe it. They didn't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. They were talking about it, but they were talking about it in unbelief. There are people that talk about the word, but they talk about it in unbelief. There's people that have gotten a slant on the word that they believe healing passed away with the apostles 2,000 years ago. They don't believe in prosperity. They don't believe in joy. They believe that God is one that puts problems on you and things like that. And I guarantee you, if you're taught that kind of stuff and believe it, that's the reason that you're sad, even though you're going to church and reading the Bible and talking about it because you're talking about it in unbelief. It says over in, I think it's 2 Peter, it's either 1 or 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, it says, but believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. If you are truly in faith, there will be joy unspeakable and full of glory. If your quote unquote faith or religion makes you sad, then you're just religious. You aren't into faith. If your reading the Bible makes you sad, you're religious. You need to get into faith. I could preach on that all night but they were talking about Jesus and were sad. And did you know that Jesus himself walked with them for nearly seven miles, for nearly two hours? Jesus was walking with them. And these were people that knew Jesus. They were people that 
had seen him and they didn't recognize who was with them. Boy, this is huge. And most people just read this and don't think about it. But why didn't these people recognize Jesus? And let me just say that this wasn't an isolated event. In the first part of this chapter, Mary Magdalene was talking to Jesus and didn't recognize him until he called her name and then she recognized him. You can turn over to the 21st chapter of the book of John and that's where Peter and the other apostles were fishing and Jesus came on the shore and said, do you have any uh, fish? Have you caught anything? And they said, nothing. And he said, cast your nets on the right side of the boat. And when they did it, they drew in so many fish that the boat was overwhelmed with it. And Peter gathered his coat around him, threw himself into the water and came to the shore. Let me just turn over here and read part of this out of John chapter 21. And when they got to the shore, it says in verse 11, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, 153. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus said unto them, come and dine. And look at this in verse 12. Man, this is awesome. And none of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou knowing that it was the Lord? Why did it even put this in there? Why did it even say that none of them asked who he was? They knew it was the Lord. Why would you even mention that? You know, if you, if you had been a friend of mine and if I came to your house and was sitting in your house talking to you and you said, I'm not even gonna ask you who you are. I know who you are. That would be weird. Why did it even mention that they didn't ask him who he was? Because you know what? They didn't recognize him. They had to recognize him by what he did, not by how he looked. And if you look in every post-resurrection appearance, Jesus, the people that he revealed himself to didn't recognize him. I don't know if you've thought of this, but this is amazing. Let me use one last passage and then I'll come back to Luke chapter 24, but look in Matthew chapter 28. This to me is the clincher this is right as Jesus was getting taken up into heaven and right before he gave the great commission to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28 and in verse 16, it says, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appeared unto them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. This is talking about the 11 apostles, Peter, James, and John, Andrew, Bartholomew, the 12 apostles minus Judas. These people who had spent three and a half years with him, they saw him, some of them worshiped, but some of the 11 doubted. They doubted that Jesus was raised from the dead and he was standing in front of him. They could see him and they doubted. This is huge. There's people that think, I wished I could have been one of the apostles. I just would have been in faith. If I could have seen these things, if I could have uh, you know, eaten the fish that, and bread that he multiplied, if I'd have been there, if I'd have heard him teach, I'd have been in faith. No, you wouldn't. Faith doesn't come by physical, natural things. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if you don't have faith now, you wouldn't have had faith when you were one of the disciples of Jesus. 
Actually, I hadn't got time to verify this, but I believe I can verify it by scripture, but it's easier to trust in God and believe God now than it would have been if you would have been one of the 12 apostles. That would have been a huge hindrance to your faith. And that's exactly opposite what most people think because they just think, oh, if I could see, if I could feel, then I'd believe. That's not what causes faith to come. Faith comes through the Bible, through the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit quickening it to you. And it's actually easier now to relate to Jesus than it was when he was here in his physical body. I know many of you don't relate to what I'm saying, but that's absolutely true. So here's Jesus in the 24th chapter of the book of Luke walking with these two disciples. These people knew Jesus and yet they didn't recognize him. And notice what it says right here in Luke chapter 24 in verse 16, it says their eyes were holden that they should not know him. What does that mean that their eyes were holden? You know, the word holden means to seize or to grasp, to lay hold on. Their eyes were focused on the natural is what it's talking about. And that's the reason that they missed who Jesus was. This same thing is recorded in Mark chapter 16. Let me just read this to you real quickly. Mark 16 talks about this same instance where these two disciples walked on the road to Emmaus, but it puts it in just a little different words. In Mark chapter 16, and in verse 12, it says, after that, he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. Here, it summarizes this whole story that's listed in detail in Luke 24 in one verse, and it says, he appeared in another form unto them. Now, what does that mean? Does this mean that he, you know, looked like a cow or a horse or, or you know, another person? He didn't look the same? No, that's not it because I probably won't get to read this, but in Luke chapter 24, right after this instance, he appeared unto the 12 or the 11 apostles with these two that had gone to Emmaus standing right there and he appeared and it terrified them and they were afraid and he says, touch me, feel me. Look, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones the way that I have. He, and he told them to put your finger into the print of the nail, thrust your hand into my side. Jesus was still the same person. He still had the marks in his hand. He looked the same and yet they didn't recognize him. So what does it mean when it says that he was in another form? You know what he's talking about is he was now in a glorified body. It was a spiritual body and it wasn't a natural body. It still had flesh and bones, he said, but it was spiritual. And I'm just gonna have to say this quickly and I hope you understand it, but over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says that the natural man receives not the things of the spirit. They are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You can't discern spiritual things with your natural mind, with your physical senses. You have to discern spiritual things spiritually. Jesus said it this way in the third chapter of the book of John. He says, that which is flesh is flesh and that which is spirit is spirit. There is a spiritual world and there is a physical world. And you have to discern spiritual things with your heart. 
So put all of this together that I'm talking about right here. What happened was these disciples, it says, what communication, Jesus said to them, what communications are these that you have as you walk and reason and are sad? The problem was they were reasoning. The word reason means to think logically. They were using their brain. They were trying to figure out the resurrection intellectually. And did you know what? The resurrection doesn't make sense to your physical mind. It's impossible. To the natural man, when a person is dead, it's over. You know, with modern science, they can revive people in a very short period of time. They can jumpstart their heart and do things, but give it say four days like Lazarus. And I guarantee you, you aren't, medical science can't bring anybody back. In the natural way of thinking, that's just the end. It's over with. But Jesus brought Lazarus back after being dead for four days, after he was already stinking. He commanded him to come forth and it says he came forth bound hand and foot. They put your legs together and wrapped linen around you and yet he came to the front of the tomb. This isn't logical. He couldn't, even if he was raised from the dead, he couldn't walk. His legs were bound. And yet he came to the front of the tomb. He was translated. If you try and figure this out with your brain, you'll miss it. God does things that are supernatural. That means above the natural realm. And the problem that we have today is that we have been taught to think logically. And there is a place for that. You need some logic to be able to function in this world, but we shouldn't be limited to it. We have been taught to despise the supernatural, to despise things that are beyond just the natural, and we consider people who think that way as weirdos, fanatics, superstitious, or whatever. And this hinders God moving in your life. Again, there is a place for being logic, but there's also a place for recognizing there's things going on that are supernatural. There are things that are beyond the natural. And the only place you're gonna get that is through the Word of God. And again, not everybody who's teaching on the Word of God, many people uh, who teach on the Word of God don't believe in the supernatural. You know, just recently I saw this movie, uh, Heaven is for Real. I imagine some of you saw that. And even though there was good things in it, the thing that bothered me is that the pastor of this church didn't believe in heaven. And he struggled because his child had seen things that made heaven a real place and he didn't believe it was real. And man, I just wanted to stand up and say, what business are you pastoring a church? If you don't believe in heaven, what business do you have even pastoring in the first place? And yet, you know what? There's a lot of pastors that don't, they believe that heaven is a metaphor. That when you see a baby born, that's heaven. When you see people struggle and go through bad things, that's hell. I'm telling you what, there's a real place called heaven and there's a real place called hell and these aren't just metaphors. There are real things going on. But there's a lot of people, even people who supposedly are preaching the Bible that will tell you miracles don't happen today. Speaking in tongues is of the devil. All of the miracles passed away. God doesn't do things. That's wrong. And it hinders your faith when you just when you were taught that all there is is just what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. If you think that that's all there is to reality, 
forgive me for being blunt, but I'm leaving tomorrow. I got to get it across tonight. Amen. I hadn't got time to sneak up on you. But if you just, if the only thing you believe is real is what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel, you're ignorant. You're denying. Did you know the Bible says that the things that we see, that's talking about this physical world, you and me and everything physical, natural, this entire globe and all of the planets and everything, it was created by things which cannot be seen. They do exist, but they're unseen things. There is a spiritual world. Man, I could go a million directions right now. Let me just mention this. I'm not gonna turn it over there, but 2 Kings chapter 6 is where Elisha was surrounded by the Syrian armies. His uh, servant went out on the wall of the city early in the morning and saw all of the Syrians surrounding him. And he said, alas, my master, how shall we do? And Elisha said, fear not, those that be with God are more than those that be with them. Did you know there was only two of them? And yet there was thousands and thousands of Syrians. And Elisha said, they that be with us are more than those that be with them. Now see, there's a lot of people, if you just think logically, if all you think exists is what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel, then you would have said, Elisha lied. He's one of these faith guys. One of the name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. He just thinks that if you'll say it, and then it'll maybe become so. And you know what? If all you think is real is what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel, well, then that would be correct. But that's the wrong information because there is a spiritual world that exists that you can't see. And if you take into account all of reality, not only the physical, but the spiritual world too, then what Elisha said was true. And to prove it, he said, Lord, open up the young man's eyes. And the Lord opened up his eyes and on the mountains round about all of the Syrians were the horses and the chariots of fire of God. The angels of God surrounded them. And you know what? What he said was true. It didn't become true when all of a sudden the servant saw it. It was true before he could see it, but it was in an unseen realm. And when he saw into the spiritual realm and saw the power of God that was available to him, it's not like the Syrians disappeared. The physical, natural things were still there. See, this is why some people give a bad name to faith because they're sitting there saying, I'm healed. And everybody can tell by looking at you, you got this huge goiter on your neck and you're saying, I'm healed. And they say, well, then why do you have that goiter? I don't have any goiter. I don't see a goiter. Do you see one? And they, they think that faith is denying that you even have a problem. That's not faith, that's stupidity. No, you don't deny that the physical world exists. Elisha didn't say that there aren't any Syrians out there. He acknowledged the physical thing, but he said there's more with us than with them. And it was true in the spiritual realm. Faith isn't saying that something isn't so. Faith is just not being limited to the physical realm. You acknowledge that there's a spiritual world out there and also on the inside of you. On the inside of you, there is a spiritual you as well as a physical you. And in the spiritual realm, you have the mind of Christ. You have the same power that raised Christ from the dead. It's not out there that you gotta pray it down. If you're listening to what I'm saying, this ought to be ruining some of your theology <laughs> because we've been praying and calling down the, oh God, come down. I've heard people pray and say, rend the heavens and come down. 
That's a quotation from Isaiah chapter 64. And somebody says, well, what could be wrong with praying the Bible? It's Old Testament scripture. Jesus rent the heavens and came down. And now he lives on the inside of you. And for you to pray, rend the heavens and come down, you're in unbelief. Jesus said in Hebrews chapter 13, verse five, he will never leave us nor forsake us. And yet we come into our church services and we say, oh God, we ask you to be with us today. It's a stupid prayer. And then we say, Lord, go with us as we leave this place. What a stupid prayer. How's God gonna answer a dumb prayer like that? He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And you're saying, oh, don't forsake us. Don't leave us, go with us. It's a dumb prayer. It's an unbelief prayer. And somebody said, well, God knows what I mean. Yeah, he knows exactly what you mean. You don't believe the promises. And because somebody didn't jump a pew or somebody yell or scream or roll on the floor, you say, well, God wasn't within a hundred miles of that place. Truth is God's here. If nobody else brought him, I brought him. He said there'd be a special anointing in our midst. But we're just so logical. And you know, so much of the logic that we've got is wrong. We've been taught wrong stuff. How many of you think a road runner can outrun a coyote? <laughs> really, I'm serious. Which do you think is fastest, a coyote or a road runner? Most people would say the road runner. You know why? Because of Wiley Coyote and the road runner. You know, the truth is a road runner's top speed is 20 miles per hour and a coyote runs at 43 miles per hour. It's over twice as fast. Your whole childhood was a lie. <laughs> but if I hadn't built up to it, if I'd have just asked you which is fastest, most of you probably would have made a decision based on a cartoon. And then your logic would be, well, the roadrunner has to be fair. And it's because you got all the wrong information. We've been taught the wrong stuff. The reason that they didn't recognize Jesus is because he was in a spiritual body that had to be discerned spiritually and they were carnal. They were just dominated by their five senses. And the very person that if they could have recognized who was with them, Instead of there being sadness, it would have been unimaginable joy to think that here is Jesus raised from the dead after three days. This is the one that they were talking about. And if they'd have known who was with them, they would have been excited, but they were sad having the resurrected Jesus spend two hours walking with them because they were just thinking in their mind, and I'm telling you, if you aren't experiencing the joy of the Lord, the healing of the Lord, the prosperity of the Lord, the blessing of the Lord, and if you're born again, it's not because Jesus isn't with you, it's because you're operating out of your brain, you're trying to figure it all out, you're going by what you can see, you're listening to the news more than you're listening to the Word of God. But I can guarantee you, Jesus is with you in all of His power, and if you could just see who's with you, it would transform your life. It would transform you. This is one of the reasons, this is my, one of my favorite passages of scripture because back 40 something years ago, as I was studying, I got a revelation of this. And I saw that Jesus is always with me. I don't see it with my eyes, but I saw it through the word. 
Did you know after he asked them this question and they said, what's wrong with you? Are you only a visitor? Don't you know what's been going on in Jerusalem? And they tried to inform, poor misinformed Jesus. <laughs> as if he didn't know what had happened. Jesus knew what had happened more than they knew what had happened. We do the same thing. God, the doctor said this and we try and tell poor misinformed God about our situation because he doesn't understand how critical it is. We got to impose all of our fear and unbelief on him, hoping that he gets as concerned about it as we are. And so he, began, he said, oh fools, let me read this to you. After they had said their things in verse 25, then said he unto them, oh fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You know what the problem was? They were fools. You know, a lot of people don't like me talking this way, but I'm, I'm not mad at anybody. Some of you will probably take offense and say, you're condemning me. How can I condemn you when there's no con condemnation in my heart? I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not upset, but I'm just tired of people trying to sneak up on you. And I'm just telling you we're fools. It's foolish. You know, we put people that have degrees and we think that they have the high ground in these arguments. You know, if you've been watching my television programs, I'm contrasting creationism with evolution for the last couple of weeks. And I've been talking about that. And yet most people, well, evolution is a proven fact. It is not a proven fact. And they say, there is no God and stuff. And, they, and people look up to them as being the smart people. There's twice in the book of Psalms, it says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. A person that doesn't believe in God is a fool. I don't care how many degrees you got behind your name. You could have 32 degrees and still be frozen. I'm not against anybody, but I'm just telling you that man, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. They're shouting out day unto day. And if people can't see God, it's because you're a fool. I love you, God loves you, but you're a fool. Amen. I don't know why I got off on all that. You know, you could take all of the human race, pool all of the money and focus on nothing but producing one blade of grass. You could combine the wisdom of all of the human race and all of our resources and you could produce something that would look like a blade of grass, might feel like a blade of grass, but it'll never produce another blade of grass. It's not alive, it won't work. If human, mankind, and all of our great wisdom can't produce the simplest blade of grass, which is gonna grow and die and wither away and be gone, if you can't do that, what makes you think that we could produce all of the complexity of nature and the universe by accident? That just defies logic. You gotta, you gotta be more of a faith person than I am to believe in evolution. It defies logic. It's a lot easier to believe in God. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It's foolish. And Jesus said, oh fools and slow of heart to believe. He wasn't mad at these guys. He loved them. That's the reason he appeared unto them. I'm not mad at anybody, but I'm telling you, we have been taught that this is wisdom. And the truth is, it's foolishness, the stuff that we've been taught. We've been taught that if you can't see, taste, hear, smell, or feel it, then it's not real. 
How dumb can you get and still breathe? But you know, right now there's radio and television signals in this room. You can't see or feel them, but they're here. And if you said, well, no, there aren't. Well, all you got to do is take a television set, plug it in, turn it on, tune it in. And when you start seeing and hearing the broadcast is not when the signals come. The signals are already here, but they're in an unseen realm. We all have accepted the fact that there's germs. There's things that are microscopic that you can't see with your natural eye, but they exist. There's things that exist that you can't figure out with your little peanut brain, but that does not mean that they don't exist. And we have been taught that, no, you just only believe what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. And that logic, this reasoning is what blinds us to the things of God. You know, when Jesus was here on this earth, it says in John chapter 13, I believe it's verse 31, that John leaned on his breast at supper. They didn't sit at tables the way we do. They had little tiny low tables and they had pillows and they would lay down. And so John was leaning up against him with his head on his chest. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that because God loved, Jesus loved John. John loved Jesus. He calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved and they had this intimate relationship. It was good. It was, wasn't wrong. But did you know in the first chapter of the book of Revelation, the same Jesus appeared to John, but this time his eyes were like flames of fire and his voice was like the sound of many waters and he, had, he radiated light and he appeared in his glory and John fell at his feet as if he was dead and had to be raised up. Did you know that that was the same Jesus? But John perceived him differently because now he wasn't in this physical body. When Jesus was in his physical body, his physical body acted like a curtain that shielded people from seeing who he really was. He was God Almighty. In heaven, you can see that when they saw him in, that they would fall on their face. They would worship the, the beast, the four beasts and the uh, 12 elders, 24 elders. They just day and night worship him. And every time you see somebody in the presence of God in the Bible, they would just be overwhelmed. This is why the Bible said nobody can see God and live. It's not because God's gonna kill you. It's because your body could not handle the glory of God. God is so awesome, it would overwhelm you. You'd die. God is awesome. And here is God in a physical body. How does he keep from killing everybody who sees him? He puts him in a physical body that is just as physical and natural as your body and my body. It wasn't sinful and it wasn't corrupted, but it was completely natural. The Bible says in Luke chapter two, verse 52, that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus' mind had to grow and be educated. His body had to grow. Jesus had to learn how to walk, how to talk, how to feed himself. I'm sure he uh, smeared food all over himself like any baby when he first tried to feed himself. And there's some people that just take offense at that. Oh no, he was God. He was God in the spirit. The angels appeared at his birth and they said, come see Christ the Lord. He was Lord at his birth. He didn't grow into becoming God. His spirit was God at birth, but his body was a physical human body. His mind was limited. 
His, he had to educate himself. The reason I'm saying all of this is because this body was physical, natural. And for his disciples to look at him and say, this is God, that took a lot of faith. It's so much easier today to not have to look at his physical body. And you can close your eyes and you can picture him the way that he's described in the book of Revelation. And you can worship him, see him seated at the Father's right hand. It's actually easier for us to believe than it was them because they had that physical body staring them in the face that said human, natural, not supernatural. It took faith. You know, I'm what they call a lucid dreamer. I dream all of the time. I can go to sleep and I'll dream five, six times, you know, in five minutes. I'll dream all night long. Sometimes it's hard for me to tell if I'm awake or asleep because my mind thinks all of the time. And the only way I can tell I'm asleep is my dreams get weird. <laughs> and I've gotten to where I can change my dream. If I don't like my dream, I can change it while I'm asleep. I can tell myself this is just a dream. And anyway, I could go on and on, but, and I dream in color. And the reason I say that is I had a dream many, many years ago. This is actually when I was studying this passage of scripture in Luke chapter 24. And I had a dream that I was one of Jesus' disciples. And I was walking and I saw him raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. I saw him open up blind eyes. I saw these things. It was exciting. And as we were walking down the road, we were just walking down the road and we were rejoicing over the miracles that we had seen. And Jesus turned right around and stuck his finger straight in my face. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And did you know everything from the experience, all of the evidence pointed to that he was the Christ. But as I looked at him, he was just as natural as Daniel. He was as natural as me. He, he was human. And I know some of you'll take offense at this. I don't mean offense, but I mean, Jesus' disciples saw him go to the bathroom. How do you picture God going to the bathroom? <laughs> you know what? This just tells you that he's human. And as I looked at him in this dream, I, everything in the natural said, you, you are just a man. But the things that I saw, the things that I heard, my spirit... The witness of the Holy Spirit said that he was God and I was able, I mean, I had to force myself to say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The same answer that Peter gave. And as soon as I gave it, it the dream was over. But I was there and it, it took faith to believe that he was God because he was so human. When he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, you know what happened? They just, for a moment, he pulled back his physical body and it didn't say that he reflected light the way that Moses did. It said he radiated light. It's like he pulled the curtain back and the glory of God that was in Jesus began to shine out and the disciples saw it. And then he had to enclose it again in this flesh. That's amazing. It says over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, it's, let me just read this to you. I'm not sure I can quote this exactly. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16 says, Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. It's kind of wordy. 
But this is the apostle Paul saying, I knew Christ after the flesh at one time. Paul was in Jerusalem, a student of Gamaliel. Jesus was in Jerusalem. Jesus was the central figure. All of the scribes and Pharisees went to mock him and make fun of him. And even though Saul at that time had not been converted to Jesus, he certainly saw Jesus. He knew Jesus. He, if you would have asked Saul, what does Jesus look like? He could have told you how tall he was. He could have told you the way he, uh, his hair was, his eye color. He could have told you a lot of things. He could have described his physical body, but he didn't know him. He thought he was just a man. But then after this appearance on the road to Damascus, he now knew Jesus by the Spirit. And that's what he's referring to. He says, at one time, we knew him after the flesh, but now we don't know him that way anymore. We know him by the Spirit. And did you know you can know things by your spirit better than you can know them by your mind? You know, one of the things I think that the Lord's trying to get across tonight is that there's a lot of people that they just limit themselves to their brain and you don't follow your heart. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter one, verses 18 through 20, that God has revealed himself from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. It didn't say some, it said all. In the Greek, that word means all. It means all. You have people today that are promoting homosexuality and things like this and saying, I don't have any conviction about that. That's a lie according to the Bible. God has revealed himself. They know in their heart that it's wrong. And that's the reason that they don't want just to be left alone. They want to actually be promoted. They have gay parades and brag about it. They're trying to soothe this conviction of the Holy Spirit. They are getting out of what's in their heart. If you leave them alone and, and let them listen to their heart, every one of them knows that God made them Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Everybody knows that. It's a mind game. They've been drinking the Kool-Aid of this world and being told things, but on their heart level, they know this isn't right. Some of you disagree with that. Well, you're entitled to your opinion, but I'm not gonna agree with you. We'd both be wrong. I'm telling you. You know, when I was in Vietnam, I had an atheist come into one of my Bible studies and interrupt my Bible study and ask me these questions that I couldn't answer. And he made a fool of me, but I just kept telling him, I said, look, I know there's a God. You can't tell me there's not a God because I talked to him. He talks to me. He talked to me today. How can you tell me that somebody I know doesn't exist? And anyway, this guy made a fool of me and my Bible study group got up and left with him. He out-talked me. And I was left just sitting in the chapel and praying and saying, oh God, what could I have done differently? And within just a few minutes, this guy came back in and sat down and I started praying, oh God, give me another chance. And this guy walked over and he says, I want what you have. And I said, you do? Because he had out-talked me. And he says, my whole life is based on an argument. And he says, if somebody out-argued me, I'd kill myself. But you've got something that's not an argument. You've got a relationship. You've got something that I want. He asked me to pray with him that he'd be born again. And you know, he claimed to be an atheist, but in his heart he knew better. When I was in Vietnam, when the bullets got to flying and the bombs got to drop, and all of the atheists were crying out to the God they didn't believe in. 
It's a mind game. And whether you know it or not, at a heart level, you know that there's more than what you can just see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. You know that there's got to be something more to life than what most people are experiencing. There is this spiritual world. We need to get out of just being so limited to only what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel, and we need to start letting God influence your heart. You have to read the Bible with your heart. It's not written to your head, it's written to your heart. If you would open up your heart and say, oh God, speak to me, the Lord would go to speaking to you and show you things. But see, Jesus said, you fools, people who don't acknowledge the spiritual realm, who think all you are is an evolved animal. You're no different than a dog or a cat. You just have more intellect. That's foolish. It's stupid. You got a spiritual part. You can't answer all of man's problems with just physical, natural things. There's spiritual answers to it. And he said, you're slow of heart to believe. It's unbelief that has caused us to be so carnal. And how did he break it? He began to start showing them in the scriptures all of the things that were written concerning him. You know how you get out of just being bound and limited by only what you can focus on with your mind? You start studying the word. The word is written to your heart. And I guarantee you, the word will come alive. The Word will just transform you. It'll open you up to things that you won't be opened up to just listening to the evening, evening news and reading the current magazines and stuff like that. You've got to get into the Word of God. The Word of God will transform the way you think. So he began to use the Word. It says in verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. Boy, this is a great point. I'm not gonna spend time to preach on this, but he did the same thing in the sixth chapter of the book of Mark when he came walking to them on the water. It says he made as though he would have passed by. It's obvious that the reason he came out there was to save them, was to help them. He wasn't out there just taking a stroll on the lake. He came to help them but he would have passed by them if they didn't call out. And this is a great truth. And that is that God is with us. God wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed, but it's not gonna happen automatically. Unless you reach out and in faith, place a demand upon God, he'll, he'll move right on by you and go to someone else who's, who's pursuing it. If you don't pursue the things of God, you won't get them. And there's a lot of people that say, well, I prayed and I asked God to reveal himself to me. But what you did, you had five minutes before your favorite TV show came on. And God, I've got five minutes. If you want to change my life and appear to me in five minutes, fine. Otherwise, I've got other things to do. That's not going to get it. Over in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, it says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. And then verse 12 says, and you shall seek me and you shall find me when, or maybe it's verse 13, but it's right there. It says, you shall seek me and you shall find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. You can't seek God passively. You have to be aggressive. You, as long as you can live without the revelation of God in your life, you will. 
But when you get to a place where I've had enough of this and I'm not going to live this way, God, I'm seeking you and I'm not going to quit until I find something. When you get that attitude, the Bible says, Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. That includes Oklahoma City. Seeking to show himself strong in behalf of those who are perfect in his sight. God is looking for people tonight. I believe he's speaking through me and he's trying to shake you and say, is there anybody in here who's looking for something more than what you've got that is willing to go beyond just the natural? You don't want to be just like everybody else. You want to do something different. You want to make your life count. The Lord is here looking and seeing how you're responding to what I'm saying and saying, is there anybody in here who wants more, who wants to see the power of God? And I guarantee you, if your heart is open, God will pass up everybody in Oklahoma to find you. You've got to pursue these things. So it says he made as though he would have gone further, but in verse 20. 29, it says, but they constrained him. The word constrained means to compel. In other words, he wasn't going to force himself. They had to reach out and, and compel him saying, abide with us for it is towards evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them and their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. Remember over there, it says that their eyes were holden. That means their eyes were closed. They were seized. They were focused so much on the natural. They were closed to any spiritual truth. They were just trying to figure this out in the natural. But then their eyes were open. Their physical eyes had been open the whole time. They couldn't have walked the seven miles to Emmaus with their eyes closed. Their physical eyes were open, but their spiritual eyes had been closed. They were carnal. But through the breaking of bread, it's through communion with God. It's through fellowship with God that your eyes get opened. And once your spiritual eyes open, he vanished out of their sight. The moment that they knew him by the spirit and they recognized that this was Jesus, then the physical departed. Brothers and sisters, God's looking for some people that'll walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it says this is the normal Christian life, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And yet the sad thing is most Christians today walk by sight and not by faith. The doctor tells you you're going to die and the average Christian will fall apart like a $2 suitcase and you'll just get fearful and you'll go to crying and doing all of these things because you don't have any faith. I'm not saying that to hurt you. I'm saying it the same way Jesus did, old fools and slow of heart to believe. I love you. I love me. I struggle. I'm not where I'm supposed to be, but I'm not where I used to be. I hadn't arrived, but I've left. And I'm just telling you that we are slow of heart to believe. And we, because we don't see the Lord, we don't feel that he's with us. And we pray these prayers I was talking about where we ask him to come and be with us and then go with us and do these things. The doctor tells you you're sick and yet the word says by his stripes you're healed. 
Word says you get the same power living on the inside of you that raised Christ from the dead, and yet most people can't feel it. You can't get a test that will show you if you have the anointing of God on the inside of you. And because you can't prove it in some physical way, most people don't believe it. I've had people, I prayed with people tonight who've had pain for years and instantly their pain's gone. I pray with them and their pain's gone. And it didn't happen tonight, but often when that happens, I'll pray with people and they say, well, yeah, my pain's gone. And I said, and you know, they told me that they'd had it for years. All of a sudden it's gone. And I say, you're, it's because you're healed. And they say, okay, I'm gonna go to the doctor and I'm gonna get tested and find out. And it's, if I was God, I'd just drop kick you right into space. Like, man, your pain's gone and yet you aren't gonna believe that you're healed until some doctor tells you. Most people have more faith in the doctor, in the lawyer, in the banker, in the person giving the news than you have in the Word of God. If the Word of God says you're healed, you're healed. And you ought to let that be the truth. Romans chapter three, verse four says, yea, let God be true and every man a liar. Every man a liar. Every man, that means every man. God's word ought to trump everything. But most people, they just don't believe it until there's something physical. You know, I've got a friend that has been inside of Noah's Ark and got a piece of the wood and brought it back and he's climbed around inside of Noah's Ark on Mount Ararat. And he put out a movie about it, Bob Cornuk. And um, anyway, there's people that just get so excited over stuff like that because man, this proves the Bible is true. It might prove to somebody, but you know why? I don't need to prove that the Bible's true. I believe it, but there's some people that they don't get excited about what the Word says until there's something physical that goes along with it. And, and they'll say, well, you need to take these things and you need to force people to believe. You can't force people to believe. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. There's people that saw Lazarus raised from the dead and immediately went to the scribes and Pharisees and consulted how they could put Jesus and Lazarus to death. Jesus prayed and said, Lord, glorify your name. In John chapter 12, an audible voice came out of heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And some of the people who heard the voice said, it's thunder. They heard the audible voice of God and yet they had an explanation for it. You cannot force anybody into believing. You remember the story about the rich man that went to hell and in hell he lifted up his eyes and saw Lazarus being blessed and he asked Lazarus to come tip, uh, dip his finger in water and cool his tongue and that wouldn't happen because there was this great gulf between them and finally he asked Abraham, he says, well send Lazarus back that he would witness to my brothers so that they don't come into this place of torment. And um, Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophet. And he says, oh, they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, but if somebody rose from the dead, then they'd believe. And Abraham said, if they don't believe the word, they will not believe though one rose from the dead. There's people today that, you know, I say that my son was raised from the dead. And they say, well, if that's so, why don't you get the doctor and prove this and do something? And why don't you put it on the television and make people believe. They, they won't believe. They don't want to believe. You can't force people to believe. It has to come by revelation. 
And anyway, the reason I brought all of this up is to say that this same thing that happened to these disciples is happening to us today. Some of us are sad and wondering why things aren't working better. Jesus is with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us, but we miss it because we're just carnal. We're going totally by the physical, natural realm. And we need to get into communion with Him through the Word. And we need to let Him open up the eyes of our understanding. And right after this happened and He vanished out of their sight, look at this. It says um, in verse 32, And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while He talked with us by the way and while He opened to us the Scriptures? The same thing was said by uh, Jeremiah, or excuse me, let's say Jeremiah anyway. I'd have to look it up. But it, Jeremiah said that I got tired of speaking because of all the criticism. And he says, finally, I'm not going to speak anymore in the name of the Lord. But he said, his word was in me like fire shut up in my bones and I couldn't forbear. I had to speak. You know, this happened a number of times. The word of God will burn on the inside of you. I pity people that have never been in communion where God speaks to you and the Word comes alive. It's, it's awesome. It's probably one of my favorite things in the world. I've seen my son raised from the dead. I've seen great miracles happen. And yet having God speak directly to you and God's Word burn in your heart is awesome. It's awesome. If all you've ever done is hear about God, but you've not been in direct communion to where His Word burns on the inside of you, you're missing out on the greatest things in life. And sad to say, so many people, it's just second and third hand information about God. We need to get into personal communion and you need to go beyond your logic. There's nothing wrong with logic as long as you're using the right facts. But when you're starting from a position of there is no God and all of these things, you're going to come to the wrong conclusion with logic every time. You know, Jesus could have manifested himself in ways that would have forced people to believe, but that's not his nature. All he would have had to have done is risen from the dead and hover over Jerusalem. Every person in Jerusalem saw him dead. And what, what, all he had to do was just hover over Jerusalem and appear. And people would have, they'd have had to admit that he was raised from the dead because there he is. If it would have been me, I wouldn't have appeared to Mary Magdalene, a woman who had been demon possessed, who was an outcast. That's not the first person I'd have appeared to. I'd have appeared to Pilate. I'd have shook his bed and woke him up, said, Pilate, are your hands clean now? I'd have gone to those soldiers who blindfolded him and spit in his face and mocked him and said, if you're the Christ, prophesy, tell us something. Man, I'd have appeared to them and said, let me tell you something. And I'd have, <laughs> but did you know there's not a single instance of Jesus in his resurrected body appearing to anybody who wasn't already a believer? Why didn't he force people to believe? Because that's not, you can't force people. It has to come by revelation. You have to open up your heart. If you're just going to wait until God answers every single thing and you aren't going to listen to your heart and you're just going to do it and figure it all out, it's foolishness on your part to think that you can totally understand God. But you can, you can receive Him. 
You can relate to him by faith. You can open up your heart. It has to be a matter of faith. And faith doesn't mean that you're casting aside logic. Did you know that the greatest discoveries in the history of the world were made by believers, people who believed in God and they came up with medical answers to things. They've invented kinds of stuff. I mean, God is very logical. It's just not the logic of the world. It's not the wisdom of this world. You have to listen with your heart. And God wants to move in people's lives not only here tonight, but I mean in your whole life, but you're gonna have to open up your heart. You're gonna have to quit being like these disciples and just talking about the things of God in unbelief and using your logic to discredit and to turn away from it. You're gonna have to listen to your heart. You're gonna have to open up and you're gonna have to let God start speaking to you and showing you things beyond just your brain. Did you know in the natural, we were told that in the Great Recession hit at the end of 2008, 2009. And did you know Christians, we've got over 200 parachurch ministries in Colorado Springs. And I've got access to many of them. I know the people in them. I know people on their boards. And all but one of them, Karis Christian Center, Lawson, Purdue, all but one person that I'm aware of planned on having their income go down because of the Great Recession. They expected it. They started cutting their budgets 20 to 25, 30% anticipating problems. And guess what? They got it. There's a lot of ministries that nearly went out of business because of the Great Recession. But it was, did you know God spoke to me in my heart in 2009? in May of 2009 and told me that I needed to prepare for tremendous growth. Karis Bible College was gonna become a major player in the body of Christ worldwide. And I needed to start preparing then. And so I got people together. And anyway, the long and the short of it is we entered into a $32 million building program and I was gonna do it debt free without taking out a loan in the midst of the great recession. I don't, and I'm not saying this in a proud bragging way on me, I'm talking about the Lord. I don't know one other ministry in the world that was expanding like that during that period of time. It defied logic. It was swimming upstream. It was going against everything that everybody else said, even the other Christian ministries. And yet, did you know in three and a half years, we built that building, paid it off, and did it debt-free, 32 million extra dollars on top of my uh, $2 million a month budget that I had to have. It worked, but it defied logic. I had people telling me you can't do it. But you can ask my staff, any of them that were around during that time, I told them, I said, this is not gonna be a problem. We will get this done. I told people lots of times, I said, you just hide and watch, it will happen. <laughs> and a lot of people thought I was crazy. They thought I was gonna start and get bogged down and not be able to finish and we finished it. And it was, it was counter to logic. There isn't any logic that goes along with that. And yet it worked because it's what God said. I'm telling you, we're limiting God by just, you know, doing things with the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this world is death. You've got to get to where you hear God, where you listen to your heart and you go with what God says in your heart. 
You need to recognize that God is with you. I don't care what you feel like, whether there's a goosebump going up and down your spine or not, God's never gonna leave you nor forsake you. He's already healed you. I don't care what you feel like. I don't care what the doctor says. What is God saying? If you get to where you can believe, then you will see the physical manifestation of it. But you aren't gonna feel and see it and then believe. You gotta believe first. And then the manifestation comes. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you've already got everything. God's already done it all. His work is complete. But somebody's gotta believe and get out of the natural and into the supernatural. If your life isn't supernatural, then it's superficial. We are living below what God calls us to be. And you know, I've just now, if you followed what I've said, I've just now got you to where I could really teach some good things. But the heart can't absorb more than the seat can endure. So I'm gonna have to let you go. But all I've done tonight is basically just try and paint a picture through this story about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus that their answer was with them the whole time, but their eyes were holding that they couldn't see it because he wasn't natural anymore. He was now spiritual. And you can't perceive spiritual things with your carnal mind. You gotta perceive it by your heart. You gotta know God in your heart. And the good news is you can know things better in your heart than you can know them with your eyes, with your mind. I know some of you, struggle with that, but that's the way God made us. Praise God. I've got a great teaching on this that would be really good right here. But praise the Lord. You know, if you don't know Jesus here tonight, I may have stepped on your toes, but God wants to heal your toes. And I know some of you may think, man, you called me a fool. You've said, how dumb can you get and still breathe? What's wrong with you? I'm saying these things in love. I'm just saying that God made us for more than what most people are living by. And if you don't know Jesus, you may still have questions. And there are answers to your questions. But what I'd like to encourage you to do is just right now to listen to your heart. You know what, in your heart, if you would be honest, the Holy Spirit is drawing, with you, drawing you in your heart. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you and saying, you know what, you need that. You need a personal relationship with me and you may have questions. Don't let your questions keep you from doing what you know. Don't let what you don't know keep you from doing what you do know. And in your heart, you know that there's someone besides you, that God's bigger than you. You need to submit yourself to him. You need to make a commitment to the Lord tonight. And then if you are born again, if you've already made a commitment of your life to the Lord, but if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes speaking in tongues, I can guarantee you there is no way that you will ever really tap into the things of God without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is one that wrote the Bible. He will explain it to you. The Holy Spirit will push you into the unseen realm. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's here in this auditorium tonight. He exists and he's dealing with people's hearts tonight. But you have to yield to him. And I tell you, speaking in tongues is one of the most powerful things you can do because when you speak in tongues, the Bible says it's foolishness to your mind. 
It doesn't make any sense. And for you to continue to speak in tongues, you have to push beyond your brain, beyond the limitations of your logic, and you have to take a step of faith. It says in Jude chapter 1, verse 20, it says, But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. When you are praying in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, you are on your most holy faith. You are going beyond yourself, beyond your logic, and you are doing things in faith, in the Spirit. And it's just like flipping a switch, turning on the dynamo of the Holy Spirit. It'll release power. Jesus said you will receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. If you don't speak in tongues, you are lacking power that you need in order to be able to relate to God and to have the Holy Spirit reveal the Lord to you. And I know some of you are thinking, so are you saying that I'm not born again if I don't speak in tongues? No, that's not what I'm saying. You can go to heaven without speaking in tongues and you can even get there quicker because you aren't gonna have the power to be able to overcome. You'll die of something earlier. You can go to heaven without the Holy Spirit, but why would you want to? Somebody says, well, I don't believe you have to speak in tongues. I don't either. You don't have to speak in tongues. You get to speak in tongues. It's a privilege. It's an honor. I'm not speaking in tongues right now, and yet I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues, but I'm telling you, it, you're missing out on something big. When I started speaking in tongues, it changed me more outwardly than anything else. You could ask my sister down here. I've got my sister here, and when I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I changed. You can ask Joyce. Man, and Joyce changed. It changes lots of people. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need it. It is not an option. You can do without it and still go to heaven, but it, if you're gonna succeed, Jesus said, don't go anywhere, don't preach the gospel, don't tell anybody anything until you receive power from on high. If they weren't supposed to tell this great news of the resurrection of Jesus without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, who do we think that we are, that somehow or another we're better than them, that we can function without it? We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes speaking in tongues. And I know somebody's thinking, well, they don't preach that in my church. That's the reason I'm not in your church. <laughs> but that's why we preach here. And it's the truth and it changed my life. Some of you think that because I don't spit and scream and say glory to God, uh, that you didn't realize I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I am. And I'm telling you, this changed my life. You need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is there anybody in here who would say, I either need to commit my life to the Lord and be born again, or I've already been born again, but I don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Don't speak in tongues, but I'd like to. Is there anybody here like that? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80934. 
Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.